When we met, I said, travel with me in space. You said no. Then I said, time machine. It wasn't some big plan. I just saw it happening and I thought, I can stop it. I did it again. I picked another stupid ape. I should have known. It's not about showing you the universe. It never is. It's about the universe doing something for you. So it's okay when you go to other times and you save people's lives, but not when it's me saving my dad. I know what I'm doing. You don't. Live from Coal Hill School in 1963, where those two new substitute teachers just aren't working out. Grab an apple, people. It's Doctor Who Podshot. Pod This is Doctor Who Podshot, presented by Outpost Gallifrey, episode 70, for the week of March the 4th, 2007. My name is James Norton, and I'm joined by my wonderful American counterpart, Mr. Louis Trapani. Hey, hello. And uh, Ken, unfortunately, can't be with us again this week. He, will, he may be uh, joining us a bit later on, but... Uh, he is, what does he like to say? He's, he's on, on assignment. assignment. <laughs> That's right, when anybody's away. So uh, I'm sorry, uh, anyone looking forward to his uh, witty openings. Uh, <laughs> sadly, you'll just have to put up with me this week. <laughs> and but, me. <laughs> uh, and Lewis. Uh, but in a, Ken's usual style, let's move straight on into the news, because, uh, well, it's kind of a bit of slow news week this week. I guess this will be the case uh, as we go ahead uh, in the, the upcoming to uh, series three, um, but we announced um, kind of prematurely, I guess, on, on last week's podcast that uh, the show would be airing on round about the twenty fourth of March, um, which was quite correct um, at the time. Yeah. But the next day afterwards, uh, we found out some interesting information that. Uh, of course, it, it's now going to be airing on the 31st of March. That's the, the following Saturday. Um, due to, uh, well, scheduling conflicts, they wanted to show uh, England's European Championship match against Israel on the Saturday, which is, is the reason why they've kind of postponed it to the following Saturday. Mm -hmm. So uh, the likely, likely start time is uh, obviously the traditional 7 p.m. time slot, um, and uh, it will commence on the 31st of March. And this is uh, according to Dreamwatch Sci-Fi. Uh, of course, any of our news stories, uh, you can head over to our fine partners website, which is uh, gallifrey1.com. I'm sure you've heard of it, Outpost Gallifrey. Click on the news segment and there's all sorts of news there. So if you mm -hmm. want to, uh, to have the news... Uh, Right on your doorstep. This is just kind of a, a segment where we can give you our opinions about the news and everything, and uh, you know, so that way you know what's going on in Doctor Who land. So this puts the show just weeks away, and uh, by the time you get this uh, podcast, it's probably going to be three weeks away, and that's uh, it, pretty exciting. Um, hopefully, we'll see uh, a new promotional trailer because usually is the case, you know, a few weeks before the debut of the new series that we, we get a new updated, um, preview. Yes, exactly. And, um, 
I'm really looking forward to that. And this kind of almost links in with our next news story, which is that is that uh, the BBC now have a YouTube site, mm, a yes. YouTube profile. And from there, uh, there is actually a David Tennant's video diary and a, a Freema Adjuman's video diary, mm -hmm. which I've checked out. Those are really, really cool. Yeah, so I you. guess if, if there is a trailer... Um, well, let's hope then it. they'll be posted there as well. Um, they will be because, you know, the, there's got to be uh, the first series, it was Trip of the Lifetime. Then there was a similar thing for the, the second series. So um, I'm sure it's going to happen to get people interested in it. But of course, the hardcore fans know when it's going to be and when it's going to be happening. So, um, But it's great that, that a deal has been struck between uh, the BBC and Google. Absolutely. So that now that they have these these clips all of these clips on youtube.com it seems though at the moment that they tend to be mostly for um Diaries. upcoming shows oh. or yeah well for, for doctor who certainly but for um uh for shows in general they have um like preview clips um for upcoming shows or um just little bits of, of information well, here and there so with david Tennant and freeman adjaman they're you know they, they they labeled them their diaries you know one so it i assume by putting one there that there'll be a two or three and a four you know that there'll be a yeah series. so i would imagine even though we're getting a head start because it's still a few weeks away before the uh, series begins that this may continue throughout the series of, of getting video diary segments on YouTube. And what's great about YouTube is, um, as I've been saying on our forums, is that it's, um, it's great news because it's accessible for everyone. It's, um, it's not limited to a certain Restricted region. Restricted to a country, yeah. It's, it's exactly. platform agnostic, so it can, you know, if you're on, on a Mac or a PC, you can watch it and I noticed yeah. they did disable the the, the sh you, with YouTube. You can uh, share it on other websites. You can take YouTube offers an embedding code so that you can actually embed the video on another site. And so far, that's the only limitation that I found so far through the BBC um, content is that they disabled that feature. But you still can yeah. But I'm I'm sure if you're savvy enough, if you know how to code, then that really won't be a problem. Mm. you can quite easily uh, uh, code it so that it will embed the video into the site. Um, so, but it, it's, it's, in any case, it's great that the BBC have, again, I think they're always on the forefront. I mean, as far as I know, I think, I think a few companies or broadcasting corporations, I should say, are on YouTube. Um, the biggest one, I guess, is CBS that I know about other than the BBC. I might be wrong about that. There may be other, um, networks but uh, i thought the biggest one that i knew of was the cbc who certainly openly allow you to view their videos and uh, allow you to share their videos and things mm -hmm. they're very popular on youtube so i guess that's kind of that's great because um it's now opened the door for everybody else to do the same because there's now a, a sort of a sense of competition uh there so um yeah obviously i don't think the bbc will be putting up any uh, episodes or anything on on of the show or of, indeed of any TV show onto YouTube. I just think it's going to be more for you know previews and clips and that sort of thing to kind of get people excited about a particular show and then watch it on their their ordinary television. So, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, very cool news and and worthwhile there for Doc Two fans because as you rightly said, Lewis, um, that it each video diary is. Uh, numbered one so that assumes that there's going to be two three etc in the future maybe they'll release one a week that'd be kind of yeah. cool yeah 
Also, um, I know many of our listeners are also uh, fans of the series Life on Mars. There's also a, um, a, a segment there. I don't know if they're, they're labeling it a video diary of John Sim or not, but he's, and it could relate to Doctor Who as well. As you know, John Sim has been in the Doctor Who news of late, so John Sim has a, um, a piece on YouTube as well, though not relating to Doctor Who, but in relationship to uh, the second series of the Life on Mars series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Cool. But uh, I guess the next news segment, um, we have some new interesting news from Canada, don't we, Lewis? And we have a, a wonderful correspondent yes. who sent us a message. We'd like to thank, actually, two of our um, friends. Oh, yes, of, of course. Yeah. Um, one is, um, our, as you were saying, Mike is our Canadian correspondent. He had um, came in with this news. And also Rod... Um, Rod, who we had interviewed in our last episode, uh, Russell had interviewed him at the Dwin Who Bash. I believe his last, and forgive me, Rod, if I'm mispronouncing your last name, uh, Mamitschitz, who um, sent us this information as well. So, uh, But this is Mike now reporting on the latest developments on uh, both Doctor Who and Torchwood as it relates to the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, I believe it is. Hi guys, it's uh, Mike up in Toronto. I just wanted to give you a bit of an update on Canadian broadcasting for Doctor Who and Torchwood uh, that came through overnight. Uh, thanks to uh, my old friends over at the Doctor Who Information Network. Uh, they've heard from the CDC that Series 3 will be airing in Canada in the summer of 2007, uh, starting in June. An exact date in June hasn't been announced yet, but sometime after the NHL playoffs uh, conclude for the year. Uh, the runway variety may also air in the summer, but they haven't confirmed necessarily that it will air uh, before Series 3. Uh, certainly, we hope that it will. Finally, uh, we've heard that Dwayne uh, Fellers know that Torchwood is going to be airing uh, in the fall of 2007, the first series of Torchwood. So, Torchwood 1 will air after Doctor Who 3. And that's all the news we have now, which is. Uh, it's great to hear. It's been nearly a year since the CBC announced they have Series 3, uh, as well as Torchwood, and uh, that they're co-producing those. So uh, we finally have uh, something looking like broadcast tapes. Thank you very much. Cheers, Mike. Always yeah. a pleasure. Yeah, thank you to, so much. Uh, yeah. Have you reporting on the show? That goes for all of our correspondents and anybody who indeed wants to send us any information. So, uh, yeah, cheers, mate. Um, what other news do we have? Well, that sort of relates to um, um, another country, in Australia, has, um, we have, in the past, we had uh, received inquiries to our, in, in our show concerning Torchwood show, being shown in Australia, and then we got word that no Australian uh, networks had picked up the series. Uh, now we can report that the Australian Associated Press is reporting that Network 10 has purchased Torchwood. So uh, they're going to be showing, um, they're also committed to the Series 2 of, of the Doctor Who spinoff. So um, obviously Series 2 of Torchwood hasn't been, um, you know, hasn't completed yet and hasn't been transmitted. Um, and that's not due to be transmitted in the UK until early 2008. So, um but anyway, but we don't have any dates on when the first series will come to Australia. But at least it's good to know that Australian, Australia, you know, Australia will get Torchwood. 
Indeed, yeah. It's always great. Um, because I think we, well, as you said, we'd mentioned this in the show before, and we were kind of moaning about it, that it's sad that they don't get the series. Because uh, it, I mean, I think we all can agree that it's not as good as Doctor Who, because we're Doctor Who fans, and, and uh, we're not Torchwood fans. That's not what the, the uh, our podcast is about. But nevertheless, Torchwood, this past series anyway, it really, ties in very much to Doctor Who, particularly the ending and everything. So it's great that Australian fans are going to have access to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of our listeners are, are, are very big Torchwood fans too. I mean, I, we do understand some of them are not, So, but we try to yeah. find a balance there between. And um, there's, um, and I don't know if we, and forgive me if I'm not crediting who, I remember maybe perhaps reading something in our forums or maybe it was something sent to our feedback, but... Um, and I'm not sure how official this is, but uh, there was word that a, a Sci-Fi Channel spokesperson was at a recent convention, and someone had posted posed the question to him or her concerning Torchwood, and the response was that there are negotiations to acquire Torchwood. So you may be seeing Torchwood in the U.S. Um, in the near future too on the Sci-Fi Channel. Nice, nice, yeah, good. Right, I think that pretty much wraps it up for news that then, doesn't it? wraps it up for the news. I mean, as the new series, you know, gets closer, there's lots of buzz going on in, in, in the news section. And, um, you know, but we're trying to highlight just the major stories, so there's lots of activity. But um, through the buzz, we're just sifting out the, you know, the stuff of... The um, noise, so yeah. to speak, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's loads going on, admittedly, but there's not actually that... Well, it's interesting, but a lot of it I wouldn't define necessarily as news. So um, we just want to give you our kind of slant on the important stuff or the stuff that we deem to be uh, newsworthy. Yeah, major news. Um, Anyway, so without uh, further ado, let's go into the features segment. So we'll be back after these short messages. This is Paul Cornell, and you're listening to Podshock, presented by Outpost Gallifrey. Stop him! Fire! Next time on Doctor Who. Anyone who knows the location of the Doctor must inform the Daleks immediately. Advise him and kill him. They are the end of everything, and I will do anything it takes to stop your twisted dreams ever seeing the light of day. There's no escape for us, Lucy. You're talking about blowing us off, for God's sake. If we pile up the batteries here... Explain your presence or you will be exterminated. Do it, Lucy. It's going to kill us anyway. Right here, or we'll die for nothing. Lucy! Doctor Who, Blood of the Daleks, Part 2. Doctor, look out! I think now available from Big Finish, www.doctorwho.co.uk. Exterminate! You're back with Doctor Who Podshaw. As if you really went anywhere. Hey, it's with great pleasure that we bring you our first 
in a series of interviews from directly from Gallifrey 2007, the 18th Amendment of Gallifrey 1, out in LA this past February. We have our first interview. First up is Paul Cornell. Paul Cornell, a British writer, probably best known to our listeners for writing the episode Father's Day, a Ninth Doctor story starring Christopher Eccleston. But his history with Doctor Who goes much further back than that. Uh, he's written several Doctor Who novels, uh, including uh, Human Nature, No Future, Happy Endings, uh, The Shadows of Avalon, also the webcast Scream of the Shalka. And he's also written uh, one of the writers for, of the Discontinuity Guide, a Doctor Who reference book. And uh, you'll see him, well, you'll get to see one of his stories again in, in the upcoming Doctor Who series, Series 3. Uh, Human Nature is uh, one of the episodes slated um, for this upcoming series, so we're anxiously awaiting that. The interview was conducted through our special correspondent, our Canadian correspondent, Mike Duran. Thank you so much. And uh, special thanks to Sean Line for making it possible. Without any further ado, this is um, Paul Cornell. Hi, I'm here with Paul Cornell at Gallifrey 18 uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, welcome, Paul. Hello, Mike. How, how are you enjoying the convention? Oh, I'm loving it as always. This is my 10th year going to Gallifrey conventions. And as always, it's just a fantastic break in the middle of February for me. Nice change for the weather? Oh, yes. My body has got used to the idea that I'm going to be in California for five days every February. One thing to get the Canadians in Brits here is, is the weather. Oh, yeah. The swimming pool. That works for me. Yes. Okay. Well, um, first question. I'd like to. Ask, we know. Uh, you know. We know you're writing for the next series. Can't tell you anything. There we go. Next question. <laughs> oh, I can tell you that Jessica Stevenson is going to be absolutely magnificent. That's all I can tell you. Okay. Well, next question I have. Uh, I know you have a new Doctor Who audio that's just come out from Big Finish called Circular Time uh, with Peter Davison and Sarah Sutton, and uh, I believe you wrote that with uh, Michael Maddox. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about that audio? Uh, it's four separate stories, uh, four one-episode stories um, that each represent a season. Um, they all add up to something when put together. Um, uh, I wrote basically the second disc, uh, Mike wrote the first disc, then we edited each other's material. Um, I think it's something quite a lot different. I am really, really pleased with the performances. Uh, Peter Davison is just fantastic in this, as is um, uh, David Warner as Isaac Newton, um, who gives a, fam a fabulous uh, portrayal of this genius whose thoughts come so fast he can barely get them out of his mouth in time. Um, Working with an, a co-writer was uh, a new challenge that I, I set myself in order to um, get a new feeling to the voice, to stop myself being complacent, and because um, I'd just been commissioned for another TV thing and I didn't have the time to do all four. Uh, Mike's a, a wonderful guy, uh, a very, very talented writer. Um, he's won a, a prestigious French comic writing award. Um, he's heavily involved in the world of comics. Um, I hope he's got a big future within Big Finish and outside of it. Um, his dialogue, for one thing, is very cracking. And one thing he does that I no longer do is he can do real in-jokes. That is, in-jokes that are actually jokes and are funny. Um, which is a bit of a revolution for the in-joke, frankly. The in-joke that actually makes you laugh. Um, these are some uh, fan-friendly episodes. There's lots in there for fans, I think. And um, 
it also they, they cover four distinct areas of Doctor Who stories. There's a highly science fictional um, spring where the Doctor and Nyssa arrive on uh, an alien world where a rogue Time Lord is doing something. Um, there's a uh, summer is the Doctor and Nyssa being arrested by Isaac Newton, who, in his role as Keeper of the Royal Mint, is responsible for hunting down people who manufacture their own coinage, as the Doctor seems to have done, because he's carrying in his pocket some alien coins. And Newton gets a look at the alien coins and extrapolates at high speed and perfectly logically an incredible future history for Earth, most of which turns out to be true. Um, autumn is um, a love story for Nyssa, uh, set in a English village with the Doctor playing cricket at the end of the season, trying to save the team there from relegation. I'm very proud of that. And Winter is something really oddball and unexpected and slightly surreal that I can't really describe in much more detail, but is very much a continuity-based story and uh, deals with Nyssa after she left the Doctor when she's settled down married with children. And the four things put together I think um, very much describe um, the, on certain themes of the lives of the Fifth Doctor and Nyssa. Uh, I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, I love Mike's contribution. Um, the acting is of a uniformly high standard. And there's a wonderful production job from Dave, David Darlington as well. The um, uh, sound effects, which have to cover a, a rainforest, um, a uh, cricket crowd, the interior of a pub, many, many more different settings than you're usual for a Big Finish play. Um, and there's a lo lovely music, like a little guitar theme um, that runs through the third episode. Um, David's music for this story is available on his website. Um, if you go to find David Darlington on MySpace, yeah. um, you'll be able to find it there, and it's very worth, worth doing. You can actually download the tracks for free. Um, the, the music tracks. Um, I think also one of the wonderful things Big Finish did with this was um, assign us a guest cast the, for each different episode. I was kind of expecting to um, have an on, uh, um, a repertory company thing going where we would have the same actors for every story playing different roles. Yeah. But actually, they've mostly given us some standard actors in every single part, like Hugh Fraser um, as Cardinal Zero from the first story. Um, I'm immensely pleased with it. I'm very, very pleased with the reviews. We've, this has probably been the best reviewed thing I've ever done. Um, we're rating hugely on that post-Gallifrey's rating system. Um, so all in all, I couldn't be happier. Oh. How was it coming back to writing for, for the audio format uh, after not just Doctor Who, but, but a lot of TV work? How is it coming back? Coming back to it, is it a more is it less restrictive? Is it more restrictive? Um, each form has its different um, joys and limitations. And um, the thing about audio is that it's so intimate and so personal. And I've made use of things that one can really only do in audio. There's some voiceover here, um, which I love hearing on audio. And Davison does the voiceover in a wonderful way. Um, and so does Sarah Sutton. There are some very emotional stories here for Sarah Sutton, and she gets to narrate certain parts of them. Um, so we cover a lot of territory, and it's, it's wonderful to get back to the intimacy of audio. Okay. Uh, just a couple more questions. Are there any churches in it? Um, no, I don't think there are. It's a bit of a first for me. There's no female vicar either. Good Lord. Ah, and, and finally, where were you on November 7th, 1987? What happened that day? Father's Day. Oh. 
I think I, I'm... You know, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think I'd probably been watching episode... Is it three of Delta and the Bannerman? <laughs> um, oh! I would have been with my parents in wheelchair for Delta and the Bannerman. I remember seeing it at home. So I would have been with my father. There you that's go. an amazing question. I must, I must look up a definitive <laughs> answer, but I think that's right. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. Well, thank you, Mike. That was great. Thank you so much, Mike Durin, for conducting that interview, and Sean Lauren for making it possible, and of course, Paul Carnell for um, giving up some of his time on a very busy weekend with us. Uh, I would be greatly remiss if I didn't also mention that Paul's talents extends beyond Doctor Who, because he's also written for television series such as Casualty, Hobby City, and Coronation Street. And Paul's also responsible for a Big Finish audio production spin-off series. It's a Doctor Who companion spin-off, Bernice Summerfield. So check all that stuff out, and um, I'm sure you won't regret it. We'll be right back with our feedback segment here on Doctor Who Podshock. Don't go away! And I thought of your with monsters. I try to save money. I try to save the universe. I'm going to be a doctor. I am the doctor. Well, looks like this box is big enough for the both of us. Doctor Who, coming soon to BBC One. There are 604,800 seconds in a week. A Doctor Who episode fills up only 3,000 seconds of your week. What to do with the remaining time on your hands? Sure, you can listen to Podshock, but even that only eats up another 5,400 seconds. Looking to fill that void of time while waiting for your next Doctor Who fix? Why not try something completely different and listen to The Magic Sock? a podcast in which I discuss the Magic the Gathering fantasy collectible card game. On the Magic Sock, you'll hear me discuss deck building techniques, individual card strategies, all the new sets, and my 13-year love of the game. Visit www.themagicsock.com to hear more. And remember, even a supersized two-hour Podshock episode is only 7,200 seconds long, leaving you over 597,600 seconds left in your week. That leaves you plenty of time to listen to another podcast. Why not then listen to the magic stuff? Cause I followed my star And that's what you are 
And we're back with Doctor Who, Podshock. And joining me is the glorious and ever so faithful and bestest of friends, James Norton. No, oh, you're too kind. <laughs> Quite welcome. Hopefully, um, maybe Ken might pop in later, but so far, um, he's still on assignment. So w- this brings us to the feedback section of the show where we get to hear from you and what you have to say. And and quite frankly, <laughs> you've been very much in the chit-chat mode lately, but that's good. We like that. You, we've been getting yeah. a lot of feedback and it's it's all great. And uh, what we're going to try to do is get a lot of it on this episode of Dr. Who Podshock so that... Um, um, you know, we can get as much as it covered as possible. So um, we're going to start off with some voicemails and we're going to get to your emails. Okay, well, heading up the feedback this week is Steve from Oswego, New York. Now, um, Oswego, we had mentioned possibly in another previous podcast, was inundated with snow uh, a few weeks ago and um, hopefully um, they shoveled out. At least Steve was able to send this message. So um, this is what he has to say. Hey there, you gorgeous bastards. This is Steve from Oswego, New York. You've probably seen us in the news, even James over on the BBC. We're the ones buried in 10 feet of snow. Well, we were, but we're starting to thaw out, so I can get a call through to you guys. Started listening just recently because I caught up with all my Big Finish audios, and you guys had just done your union with Outpost Gallifrey, which is my homepage, so thought I'd check you out. Fall in love with the show. Playing catch-up now with all of your back shows off of iTunes, and I'm really, really enjoying it. I wanted to say something about the Growing a TARDIS thing you guys were talking about last week. Uh, I haven't read these books, but I read about them. The last stretch of Eighth Doctor books from the BBC line had the Doctor, they destroyed Gallifrey. It did something to the Doctor himself. Gave him amnesia, and they set a last series of books with him on Earth at the beginning of the 20th century. And then through the series of books, the TARDIS is growing. It starts off as a seed after the destruction of Gallifrey. And then at the end of the 20th century, he regains his memory in the last Lance Parkin book, you know, that they publicized. It would be the last of the BBC books before the new series. And then he regains his memory. We somehow regain Gallifrey. And the TARDIS is back to its full-size self, you know, and it's a coral-like thing, so that's why it can be a seed and organic. Don't know if anybody knew that, but I thought I'd point it out. You guys have a great time. Keep up the great, great work. Thank you. Cheers, man. It's always great to hear from you and uh, hear the tidbits from people who uh, have read novels or heard uh, um, uh, Big Finish audios and etc. Because it's always uh, difficult, almost in a way, as being a Doctor Who fan, because there's so much stuff out there and so much going on. Um, uh, even if it's not necessarily canon stuff, that it's just difficult to kind of keep up with everything. So it's great that you you have contributed this. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of butt in with the, the audio feedback. I know that we said that uh, we were just going to uh, do audio and then go with emails, but we've just had so many mm-hmm. emails about this as well, yeah. about this sort of, well, a lot of people call it either either the fact that the TARDIS has grown or or this TARDIS coral. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of emails that I've had, and it's seen as how it's relevant. I thought I'd, I'd read them out on the show right now. And there's a, a wonderful chap called uh, Jason has emailed in. 
um, and says, Hi guys, love the podcast. My wife got me hooked on Doctor Who when she had uh, me tape the 1996 Doctor Who television movie during its original airing. We had a new VCR and I didn't know how to set the timer. Now I'm I'm a bigger fan than she is uh, and I try to point this out to her constantly. After listening to uh, Podshock 68, I too remembered hearing something about Jack growing a TARDIS in his office in Torchwood. I don't remember the specific episode it was mentioned in, but I was able to find some info on the next biggest database of useless information, Wikipedia. And he's given a a URL, but to paraphrase, it says, uh, TARDIS Coral. Jack has a piece of coral growing in his office in which actor Jack Barrowman identifies as being a piece of the same substance as the TARDIS. Barrowman suggests, as did the Tenth Doctor in The Impossible Planet, that TARDISes are grown, not built. The piece in Jack's office has been there for approximately 30 years, And in 500 years, the carving process begins. And then it gives a a reference. It says, uh, one other item, uh, would it kill someone to have uh, a Doctor Who convention in the States that did not fall during tax season, (laughs) i.e. the 1st of January till the uh, 16th of April, or Black Friday? And then he simply says, uh, Sylvester McCoy rocks. So uh, cheers for that, Jason. Um, I'm not too down on that, Lewis. Uh, but I guess that means that you can't really spend a great deal of money at the conventions or whatever because of, of tax reasons. Um, I don't know. <laughs> well, um, it's it's. I, I'm, I was assuming that perhaps I know. I have some friends who are CPAs that they do um, tax returns for other people, and that's the busiest time of the year. Really, is um, during you know they can't really do anything. They can't go on vacation. They can't do anything during that. Time uh, of year, okay, right. So that that was my assumption that perhaps he's a CPA, but. Um, yeah, you have up until April, well, traditionally April 15th, but if it falls on a holiday, then they extend it, or a weekend, they might extend it a day or two to get your taxes all sorted out and done and filed, and so you're not, you know, levied with a fine. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's it can get very hectic if you're in that field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay. That's good to know. So we've also had a, a, an email from uh, a chap named Alex, who's actually all the way in Tokyo in Japan. Wow. And uh, he had emailed in to say that um, he, he wondered whether the TARDIS grown uh, is the same as growing a TARDIS. So, you know, the, the sound oh. uh, is the same as the fact that the, t- <laughs> the TARDIS is grown. So I thought that was kind of a funny little, little joke. Uh, he said, uh, maybe this isn't the case, but it's just a thought. So I'm paraphrasing what he's written because he's, he's gone into a bit more depth than... Uh, he's talking about G-R-O-A-N, grown. Yeah, as a, instead of something growing, as in a plant growing, something groaning, <laughs> like the TARDIS. Um, he also says, um, it is alluded that Jack has an association with Torchwood since the 1950s. Does this mean he might be behind the scenes in Boomtown? Interesting bit of speculation. Yeah, that is quite interesting because if, number one, if this piece of TARDIS coral has been in his office for 30 years or whatever, as it says in Wikipedia, then he must have been there for some time. Um, And also, you know, maybe if he's been on the scene since the 1950s, 
Uh, and because the underneath, in to uh, the Torchwood hub itself, does look very old with all the tiles and everything. So maybe he was actually in Cardiff while he was visiting in Boomtown as well. So kind of in two places at once. So um, yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, nonetheless. Anyway, let's get back to the audio feedback. But I just wanted to. Sorry, Lewis, I wanted to interject there. No, no, that's quite right. That's quite right. But uh, my take on this whole thing. Well, first of all, I I, I must you know reinject that you know while watching Torchwood, I never caught on to um, any references of Jack growing a TARDIS. I'm not saying that it wasn't there, but I just didn't catch it. So. I, from what I understand, there was um, a reference, and now it, it seems to be removed from Wikipedia, I, or I'm, not, I'm just not finding it, where there was a publication, I don't know if it was um, uh, if it was the, the, the TV Times, the Radio Times, rather, had, had some sort of mention about the Jack growing a TARDIS, or someone had written an article, perhaps. But my take as far as the whole matter with, with growing a TARDIS is... Um, I always saw the TARDIS, um, if you remember to, if you go back to Legopolis and the doctor had to, um, he went to Legopolis to get, because uh, it's where the population was very advanced in, in block transfer computations and, and he had to recheck the, the shape of the TARDIS against that. And um, it's been a while since I saw it, so I'm a little rusty. But my point is that um, I, and, and the way that the doctor can delete rooms. And um, so I always saw the TARDIS more as a, um, a, a scientifically um, developed mechanism where it's it, perhaps it is grown, but mathematically grown, sort of like the Mandelbrot set, where you can, uh, through a mathematical formula, you can create imagery that that looks somewhat organic, and uh, um, and that's how I kind of see the whole growing a TARDIS thing, less. Um, more scientifically and, and based on mathematical um, computations, you know, than a seed growing in in, a, in a, an organic way. That's um, you know how I always see it. Yeah, I I had always envisioned a similar sort of thing, but um, as I thought that uh, you know you could have a chameleon circuit that works on the outside of the ship, why not have it on the inside of the ship? Which exactly. I know you could yeah. rearrange bits of the TARDIS and have different uh, sort of like the Star Trek holodeck concept, except for a, a more physical, where the holodeck was projecting and, and using transporter technology to to create physical objects, sort of in that sense, but in a more real way, where the objects are are are, are not being projected, but 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 like you said, in a similar sense to the chameleon circuit on the outside you can do the same thing on the inside. Yeah, so um, when he was talking about how, um, you know, TARDIS was were grown or whatever, I didn't think that was weird. But this kind of whole uh, Captain Jack issue does shed a completely different light on it, I guess, and makes it seem like they really are grown very much in the way that you grow a plant or something along those lines. So, Because it does look like coral or something along those lines. Um, I don't know... Uh, quite what the story is there i'm sure that um well i know that it's been eluded that hopefully we're going to see um more of the interior of the tardis this season yeah um, I, I i think we are if i'm not mistaken yeah, i remember hearing from, something about it yeah just from rumors and things even a bathroom maybe it sounds uh, quite <laughs> weird but that's what i heard so the, i, I the TARDIS can't remember loo. where i heard it yeah tardis <laughs> lou um so I don't know, this kind of changes the perspective of things, but hopefully it will be alluded to in the next, the upcoming series. We'll just have to wait and see. It's not mm. long now, so there we are. Uh, 
So anyway, next piece of audio feedback, please, okay. Mr. Chapani. Dave, Dave Cooper, I believe it's Dave Cooper, a longtime friend of Doctor Who Pashak and contributor to our forums and very active member. And we want to thank him for all his contributions. And um, and he's now sent us um, a, um, his, he's gracing our podcast with his voice as well. So um, this is what Dave had to say. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Cooper, Dave AC on the Gallifreyan Embassy forums. Hi to Ken, Lewis and James and all the listeners. Just a bit of feedback about the event that I went to on the 3rd of March this year. It was part of an appeal for the charities run by the BBC Children in Need. And the Doctor Who aspect of it was organised by the Hyde Fundraisers. That's www.hydefundraisers.com. It was held at the nearby Ashton Underline Cineworld World Complex. The event was arranged in such a way that there was um, a shop organised by Galaxy 4 selling lots of uh, Doctor Who merchandise. Then there was screening of Army of Ghosts, followed by a break where there were photo opportunities where the high fundraisers had dressed up in costume. Then the second screening of Doomsday, and followed by a question and answer session by their guest. And the guest was none other than Andrew Hayden-Smith. He played Jake in Age of Steel and Rise of the Cybermen, and then again in Doomsday. Unfortunately, I heard about this a bit too late. Crazy, really. I hear about events in New York, I hear about cruises with Doctor Who, but something local down the street, and I don't hear enough in time to get a ticket. But let me tell you, it was very well attended. The shop, Galaxy 4, they must have been well surprised. Uh, I was there at least 20, 25 minutes before I could get to the front of the queue. Lovely to see, there was a large number of young kids with their mums and dads, and there were blind plenty of stuff. Battles in time cards going particularly well. Um, one of the, whilst I was there, one of the things I did was I bought a small Captain Jack and the Empty Child figurine. It was a dual pack set. And what I'd like to do, if Lewis and Ken and James feel it's okay, is to offer it up to a forum member to bid. Now, I know this project goes out to um, Outpost Calvary as well, and I don't want to exclude those people, but I thought that this part of the actual um, event could help raise money for Gallifrey and Embassy. The figurines cost 10 UK pounds and then they'll be packaging. So I reckon let's say in American money about $20. So I'm looking for a donation of $20 minimum to the site. We'll put a deadline up and hopefully this will be up on the site by the time you hear this. The idea being that through uh, Lewis, if he's all right with him, the winning bidder pass on their address to me via Lewis and I'll see that they get it. It comes with um, The Art of Doctor Who, a little gift magazine that was put in the bag. didn't cost me anything, it just comes with it free. Okay then, get bidding and let's see if we can raise some money for the site. So, to all the listeners out there, those from Outpost Gallifrey and the Gallifreyan Embassy, this is Dave Cooper, Dave AC, signing off, handing you back to Ken, Lewis and James. Thanks guys, bye. I'm constantly amazed by our listeners and uh, especially our, our regular listeners who contribute an awful lot to the show and I have to just say thanks so much to to Dave AC on the forums Dave Cooper there for that mm-hmm. fantastic little uh, kind of commentary on the event and also for, for putting forward this awesome figurine uh, to, to for people to bid on the website to raise some money for the site that's really kind Dave thanks so much it, it really is very humbling to, to hear uh, listeners uh, uh, really kind of root for us and, and want to, to, to give us so much money because it is a, an expensive uh, sort of preoccupation to, to run the site and, and to, to distribute the podcast. And Lewis, 
of all of us puts in an awful lot of time. So uh, it is great that uh, people are willing to, to give us some, some donations and, and help a lot along with the runnings of the site and yeah, everything. Yeah. And, and everything that, that does come and goes directly back into the, the site course, and the podcast yeah. and um, you know, to, to make a better show for you and to continue the show. Exactly. But um, I think what we'll probably do is, is, with regards to that, will be to start a, a forum uh, thread uh, with a picture of, of this item so that people can can bid after this podcast goes out. Yeah, that's a good idea, James. And then, and then that way, post you know into that thread with their pledge to you know donate to bid on it. Yeah. And then that way, it's kind of open and fair, and everybody else can see what the current bids are. Because mm-hmm. I think if we try to do it any other way, then people won't wouldn't know how much to bid, sort of a thing. Yeah. Other than because yeah. I, I mean. The way the site's set up, you can only uh, send a donation. You can't really say how much you want to pledge and make it open to everybody else. If yeah, you, know you don't know who pl- how much who pledged before you. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, James. And you know, glad we got someone with a brain on the show to sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go so far, mate. But yeah, I just want to say thanks to Dave again, top man. Thanks so yeah. much, mate. Appreciate it. Yeah, Dave, thank you so much. It's 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 always a pleasure. Uh, all your postings on the forums and your activity and, and, and contributions now as well. So thank you so much. Okay, next piece of audio feedback, Lewis. Uh, actually, that rounds out the audio. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Less than I thought this week, but certainly we've had a ton of emails. So um, without further ado, I will uh, get right into the emails. So first up, we had uh, an email from a chap named David, and he asked questions about Doctor Who referencing tunes. Hi, my name is David, and first off, I would like to say that I just started listening to Podshock a few weeks ago, and I'm really digging it. One thing I noticed in your last episode, 68, was the inclusion of some songs referencing the show's theme song along with the Doctor himself. I instantly recognized the Time Lords, a.k.a. the KLF, Doctor in the TARDIS remix, but I have no idea who did the later tune with the lyrics, I had a strange dream, who knows what it means, I walked on moonbeams with Doctor Who. I'd really like to know more information about the song, title, band, album, if possible. Do you guys know of any other cool songs out there with the Doctor Who referencing in them? Anyway, I love the show, keep up the good work, and thanks for your time. David, somewhere outside of Austin in Texas, USA. Yeah, um, perhaps Lewis would be best to uh, to answer this question because yeah. I know that you certainly have a lot of material in the way of uh, of music uh, along with Doctor Who. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'll leave it to you, Lewis. That particular song is a, is a uh, I guess a rather old one. It's um, it's from a group called Blood Donor, and it's called Doctor Dot 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 Question Mark is the name of the song, and it was actually featured on the B-side of, of a single, of back, okay, this is going to date me, I guess, uh, way back when, in, in, back in the old days, there were these vinyl discs <laughs> that had grooves on them, and you put them on a spinning platform with a little needle, and it would play music. So, um, it was, and this was a, a 45 because it went 45 rotations per minute on, on the spinning disc, um, hence record or if you like. Um, anyway, so it was on a 45 record. Uh, there was on side A, it was, uh, I think it was John Pertwee did a song called I Am the Doctor. 
um, if I'm if I remember correctly. And on the B side, it was um, this group called, as I said, Blood Donor, and they did this song which uh, had references to Doctor Who and hence made a, a nice um, companion piece to it. But there, there are plenty of um, other um, artists out there that over the years have made references to Doctor Who. Um, Human League has a song called Tom Baker, and there's um, one of our favorites. It's is Orbital has a um, yeah a tribute to Doctor. Actually, they have a couple songs that make references to Doctor Who, but the most known is um, um, I, 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 and again, I think they do the same thing. The song is called Doctor Question Mark, and um, um, but there's there there are many out there, and also there's a uh, a podcast and a website that has uh, many. Uh, fan-created um, covers of the theme and other like songs related to or music related to Doctor Who, and um, you can find a link to that on our website. I, just off the top of my head, I think it was Trilight. Um, yeah, it's it's who mix dot trilite dot net. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like T R I L E T E. But if you're, of course, in the enhanced version on your computer, just click on a little link and it'll take you right there. So mm -hmm. there you go. Like I said, there's plenty of others out there. I'm sure I'm, I'm missing a whole bunch. So um, yeah, but there's mashups and all sorts of different bits and bobs. So yeah, there's a there's a whole mashup industry. There's um, Doctor Who on Holiday, and <laughs> that was um, done. That it's got a lot of airplay if you will a lot of att attention on the net recently and yeah it's, it's kind of a green day stroke time lords mashup yeah. sort of mm -hmm. thing but um yeah i mean maybe it would be a good idea to start a forum topic about this i was thinking people, the same thing yeah because everybody has something to contribute regarding to this because there's so much uh info out there on the web and and so many songs that uh, i'm sure people have got several favorites so uh, maybe it'd be a good idea to do that and get uh, people to contribute. Anyway, have a uh, a email here now from Wendy, who is in New York, New York, and she says, "Hello, I love your show. I listen to it all the time. In your last episode of Podshock, you mentioned that Australia will not be picking up Torchwood. You mentioned that there was no news in regards to whether Torchwood will be picked up in the U.S." This past weekend at the New York Comic Con, an exclusive, uh, an executive show coordinator from the Sci-Fi Channel was doing a presentation and QA of the Dresden Files and Battlestar Galactica. In the Q&A session, a Doctor Who fan asked him if the Sci-Fi Channel was considering bringing Torchwood to Sci-Fi, in which the Sci-Fi correspondent said, uh, said, we are in negotiations with the BBC on bringing Torchwood to the States, and I am very optimistic that it will happen. This was good news for a lot of us in the crowd because it was the closest thing to a yes that we have got to that question. Mm. So I just thought you guys would like to know what the news had come during the Comic-Con. Keep uh, Love your show. Keep it up from Wendy. So, yeah, cheers, That's, Wendy. I mean, we yeah. kind of briefly mentioned it in the start yeah, of the I show. I couldn't remember where I read it from. That's where I read it from, one of our feet. That's why we rely so much on our listeners uh, for information and, and, and insights on uh, what they're what they We always say that anytime you're at a convention, you're our ears and eyes as well. So we do appreciate that. And um, and I'm glad, James, that you, that you read that letter so I can give proper credit where I got that information from. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, cheers, Wendy. Good to know. It's uh, nice that... Uh, well, I just mentioned earlier that it's great that the Australian fans will get to see uh, Torchwood, and it's now great that uh, 
that Torchwood will get bigger exposure in the U.S. Yeah, so it's um, it's a it's a happy day for Torchwood because we reported about Canada, Australia, and, and the possibility of it hitting the U.S. Uh, all in one show. <laughs> Indeed, it's global. It's global. Uh, and and if I could just, um, I, I just wanted to um, modify or, or, or correct something that that I had said earlier when we were speaking about the TARDIS being grown. Um, it was actually Jason's email has a link to the Wikipedia. It, it hasn't been removed from Wikipedia. It's just been moved to a new page. It's it, there's a um, Wikipedia page called List of Torchwood Items, and that's where there's a reference to the TARDIS being grown in Jack's office. That it's been there yeah. for approximately thirty years, and because I, I couldn't find it, it was originally on the main Torchwood page on Wikipedia. So I just wanted yeah. to clear that up. So that's the problem with yeah. with uh, Wikipedia is that it's so organic; it's always changing, and uh, you know, bits just of like it the Tardis, it's grown too. <laughs> exactly. You see what I did there? Yes. <laughs> anyway, so we move away from the bad puns. Um, <laughs> I had an email from Charles. And Shell says, have you guys ever thought about doing something on the old 1980s Doctor Who fan club of America? I would be interested to hear your thoughts on it, rise and fall. Who started it and what happened that caused, uh, that caused it to fail? Was it a real fan club or nothing more than a way to sell merchandise? Could such a national or international fan club work now? I still have my old Whovian Times and badges. The thermodynamic badge and the disappearing TARDIS mug were great. That's from Charles. So, well, I guess in a way, um, well, I, I wasn't uh, a member of, uh, of the Dot Two Fan Club of America, obviously, because I'm not American uh, and uh, not in the 80s anyway. But I guess that fan clubs now are evolving and are changing to the point where they can be international. In a way, Podshock really, and well certainly the Gallifrey and Embassy is a fan club, um, which has sort of evolved into a podcast as well, where everyone can contribute. So I think that, that, that fan clubs are just, have just changed, they've, they've moved on, it's no longer, you know, sadly sending out um, paper uh, uh, newsletters and so on. I mean, that's still the case with with uh, uh, Hoover's, uh, an organization in the UK, and of course uh, the Doctor Who Information Network and the, the Doctor Who uh, fan club in the UK. But I think there's so much, uh, so many fan clubs out there now that, that can be international. Um, maybe that's the reason why these, these older fan clubs, I know this, this is back in the 80s, but why uh, they haven't really died off, they've just evolved into something else. Um, I don't know, Lewis, because uh, were you a member of... Uh, yes, I was, yeah. It, yeah, I thought I thought you were. I didn't want to speak for you and say, yes, Lewis was a member, and then have him <laughs> say, no, I wasn't. What are you on about, James? But <laughs> Yeah, there, um, it, it was a, uh, a national, as, as the name implies, a, a national organization that, um, that had a, as James had mentioned, a, a printed newsletter. It was almost like, a, almost like a, a newspaper, if I recall correctly, and it was very popular at the time, and and if I recall correctly, just trying to remember, um, the, I know we had mentioned him in a, in a past podcast. Uh, I, I believe the founder, um, his name escapes me now. <laughs> it's a shame Ken isn't here because yeah, I'm sure Ken would know. 
I, we, Ken and I spoke about him once before, and we asked if he was listening to come and chime in on us and see what he's up about and where he's at, at these days. But I know in the feedback, it, it was asked whether or not it was just there to sell merchandise. But it actually does tie into that because the origin of it comes from, um, he was obviously in the U.S., and he wanted a, um, a supplier, he wanted to get a Doctor Who t-shirts, and th- at that time there were none. So... Out of that came the origins of the Doctor Who fan club of America, where um, obviously they they did, you know, sell T-shirts at one point and um, along with other items. But but it was a good way to network everyone in the U.S. because, as James sort of implied before, at that time we weren't all connected via the internet, and um, this was our means of kind of connecting to everyone, and you know, through a, a printed publication that everyone can get and, and be informed on what's happening in Doctor Who, and you know, especially since it was uh, Doctor Who was a show that was originated in the UK, it wasn't in the mainstream in the US, so you couldn't really go to. It, there was no information in the TV guide that we have here in the US that reported on Doctor Who or or the other you know, native publications that we have here, um, homegrown stuff, you know, in mainstream didn't report on Doctor Who. So we we, uh, relied on specialized papers such as Doctor Who Fan Club of America and and, um, or that or if you get imported publications and magazines like Doctor Who magazine, which um, at the time I would buy at specialty stores that that reported on it because that's the only way to get your Doctor Who news and information at that time. Eventually, as the series was... um, you know, had come to a close and fandom sort of have, had dwindled at that time, you know, the club did fold and it doesn't exist anymore. So, but um, I think when the next time Ken is on board, we'll talk more about it and um, I'll jog my memory on, on, on getting that gentleman's name who just escapes me now. <laughs> fair dues, fair dues. Uh, okay, next email. We have a lot to get through, so let's get going. Uh, I have one here from a gentleman called The Bachelor on our forums. Oh, he says, yeah, Eska. Um, go ahead. Yeah, Eska, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, salutation, guys. Uh, have you been watching Heroes on NBC? I'm sorry if you've already mentioned this and I just haven't caught it yet, but I must say I was already a huge fan of the show beforehand, but then to have Christopher Eccleston should, uh, suddenly join the cast... Uh, mid-season, what a delight. And I don't know if you watched uh, Monday's episode, that's, uh, was well, he sent this on the 26th of February, but how strange it was to see our very own Ninth Doctor interacting in a scene together with TV movie's infamous master, none other than Eric Roberts. Oh, and how about Star Trek Sulu there, for good measure? So strange the times we live in concerning television these days. What say you guys? Esco, a.k.a. The Bachelor on your forums in San Antonio, Texas. So, yeah, I guess it is kind of crazy. I don't think that uh, that Eric Roberts for one moment would have thought that he would have been doing work with the the next Doctor after the TV movie and, ev- and everything. Um, I don't know, I don't want to speak for him, but certainly it is strange how everything now is kind of fluidic and uh, shows mingle into one another and, you know, you get actors jumping all over the place in, in, in SF anyway. I think that's kind of always been the case mm-hmm. uh, to an extent, um, particularly in, in shows. I mean, even in Doctor Who, you have people who have been in one episode as one character and then a couple of seasons later they'll come back as a completely different character but yeah, you know free, obviously free you recognize them exactly free imagine is, is the most recent example of that 
Uh, Colin Baker was an example of that, of course. Um, Lala Ward was the same. Uh, she did some, some Doctor Who episodes before she came on as Romana. There are all sorts of different people through Doctor Who history who've kind of either gone on to do different things and with the, the same people. And even now with... Um, what was the name of that that uh, thing that David Tennant had just been in? Recovery. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. He he did it with uh, Sarah Parrish, who was of course the big Spider Queen in um, in uh, the oh, Runaway Bride. Yes. So, you know, it is it is interesting times for TV because things now are so fluid, and actors will find themselves working with people who they've worked on different projects before or who are kind of loosely connected to with the projects that they've worked on before. So in that aspect, it's kind of weird and kind of strange. But full, uh, I've got to give props to Christopher Eccleston because after doing Doctor Who, I mean, obviously he's he's always been a hugely successful British actor and, and high-profile actor and has been in all sorts of different movies and things. But to be on one really successful television show, i.e. Doctor Who, and then to go to Heroes, which I haven't seen it personally just because I'm not in the US and, and, and I don't get the NBC, but um, certainly that seems like a really successful show over there in the US. Every American chap who I know is raving about it. Um, and then even things like The Prisoner, he's really very much in demand. And I think that Doctor Who kind of showcase the fact to the world really to the fact that what a great actor he is and, and he shines in in sf so that's my thoughts on the situation kind of a, a bit of a, a data burst there sorry to <laughs> to offload but what do you reckon Liz? well I, I again um i haven't seen the series either though I, i've heard nothing but praise from other people that that are, that are into it I, I just um don't really follow a lot of the network television shows here in the u.s and i i I don't have i can't claim to be out of the u.s as james has but (laughs) (laughs) i have an excuse you don't (laughs) but and but then from my from what i understand is that it's best to see the series sort of from the beginning to to the end so yeah maybe i'll catch up with it once it it, you know in in a a dvd format or i know it's available through itunes as well so uh maybe eventually i'll catch up with it from the beginning and kind of you know so I'm, I just don't plop in the middle and start wondering what's going on. That's the main reason why I sort of haven't uh, made the effort to download it, because at the moment I really don't have the time to kind of yeah, go through so, every yeah. single episode, I'd, because that's how I would want to do it, just as uh, I would want to do that with if I was just a new Doctor Who fan. I'd want to start off from the beginning and learn what everything's about so I don't end up confused halfway through the uh, the season or whatever. Yeah, and you would have to go all the way back to 1963 to The Unearthly Child. and. <laughs> well, that's true, but, um, but the, I, mean, I meant the first series because it does introduce everything. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know that Doctor Who might be a slight, uh, a diff- slightly different case because obviously it's got such a long history, but never mind. You know what I'm saying. You know yes, what I'm saying. yes. So, anyway, next email. This is from uh, a nice gentleman named Daniel, and he very politely opens with, Hello, gentlemen. Love the podcast. I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was a kid, and I'm just thrilled that it is back on. And what a great new series. I've got a question and a suggestion. First, the question. How does television work in England? With no commercials, how is it funded, and how is it decided which programs remain and which are cancelled? Secondly, I think you should start a campaign to get Doctor Who licensed with some high-end collectible companies such as Slideshow Collectibles. I think that's right. Oh, sorry, Sideshow Collectibles. 
How great would it be to have a highly detailed Doctor Who figures? Keep up the great work with the podcast, Daniel. So, um, yeah, I've never heard... Well, firstly, I should probably tackle the first question. Um, The second part might be um, better for Lewis, because I've never... Personally, I've never heard of uh, Sideshow uh, Collectibles. Um, I'm not really down on on collecting um, figures and such, but uh, maybe that's something that Lewis could tackle. Um, But as for the first question, how does television operate in in England? Well, um, it's, it's quite simple. The... Uh, TV works in that the BBC is publicly funded, much, very much like how PBS is funded in the US, except that uh, in order to uh, receive any television, you're supposed to pay this license fee, which is, is, is uh, paid to the government but goes directly to the BBC, all funds go to the BBC. Um, so I think, well, it, it varies for what sort of uh, television you have, whether it's black or white or colour, and I think certain groups get discounts, like for instance the elderly get uh, discounts off their television uh, rate but you can pay it in several different forms, but the usual way is to pay it in a, in a big lump sum down at the post office, and then you get a, a television licence which enables you to watch television usually for a year um, so everybody is required to have a television license um, because that's how it, it operates. Even if you own satellite or, or cable, everyone needs to have a, a television license. And in that way, the BBC is funded so that uh, they don't have to put on commercials on the television uh, as a way of getting their, their money. And also it's kind of cool because it means that, that, that it's a non-profit organization. All the money that they receive goes purely onto paying um, the executives and so on, but more importantly, putting money into programs. So just as whenever you buy a piece of Doctor Who merchandise, all the money that the BBC gets from it goes directly back into uh, making television programs, which is what's the important thing, I guess. Um, so yes, you pay a fee uh, down at the post office, and that g- enables you to to watch television, which is how the BBC makes its money. And the BBC uh, licenses all the other channels, so the, the BBC controls directly um, what is broadcast. So uh, if you uh, want to set up a new television channel, you buy your airtime from the BBC. I believe, and that's like, for instance, if you wanted to set up a new science fiction channel, you would have to f- get the rights from the BBC to do that because they were the first and, and they were who, who regulate this sort of a thing. Um, as for how things uh, remain and get cancelled, that's very much the same as in the US. Um, although I don't believe that we have pilots here in the UK, but generally a show is commissioned and, and goes on a run for, for so long. And if it's successful, it, it remains. And if it's cancelled, um, then, you know, it, it is no longer on the television. That's certainly the case on, on independent uh, channels and also the case on the BBC. But I think because the BBC is publicly funded, uh, people are much more critical of the BBC than they uh, otherwise would be of other networks, I think, because they are directly funding um, the, the, the channel um, so and, and, the, and the network. So uh, p- 
people are always very quick to to criticize the BBC if they think they do something uh, out of hand mm -hmm. and the BBC has excellent uh, infrastructure there in 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 how to complain and and how to make suggestions uh, as to what should be done regarding programming etc so uh, yeah th that's kind of a very detailed description i guess for the podcast but uh, that's essentially how it works um, Lewis, do you have any insights into his uh, second question? Yes, uh, even though I, I don't own any of my don't, don't own any of them myself, but um, I can report that these um, sideshow collectibles are highly detailed uh, collectible figurines. And right, right. Um, what I can do is um, let me, James. What I'll do is I'll send you a link to a site where you can check them out. And thanks, mate. That they have. Um, whole lines of, um, of figurines such as um, from Star Wars and Aliens and Planet of the Apes. So Dot Who would kind of fit into their lineup of, you know, sci-fi genre. They also cover comic book characters like the Hulk and all that. Um, and again, they're very detailed um, characters. Um, I mean, like the, like the Alien ones are really nice. and um, But the, they can be a bit pricey too. So obviously it's not for everyone maybe hence the reason why i don't have any <laughs> but um but they are quite good they're quite, they quite they they look very nice and um and i guess it's just a matter of them getting the a license from the bbc before they end enough demand for them um which i'm sure if they're doing you know n you know stuff for the planet of the apes i'm sure they can do stuff for doctor who as well since you know obviously planet of the apes is it has many fans but it's not a current commodity it's um you know, but Doctor Who is, and especially now that it's all over the U.S. Uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel and BBC America, and now heading off to PBS stations, you can uh, catch the Christopher Eccleston series. So um, I think the the U.S. is uh, catching up with the rest of the world. Mm, yeah, I see what you mean. They do look very detailed, but <laughs> very expensive. Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I think maybe some of the. Uh, it depends on how many they do. Maybe they have limited. Um, molds or whatever the limited runs yeah limited and, edition kind yeah, of things and, and yeah they, they, they bring up the prices up because um i i can see them you know anywhere from you know in in u.s prices um as far as full figurines not not bobbleheads but for, you know starting at maybe fifty dollars or forty five dollars but they can go up to you know close to a thousand dollars so wow that's amazing you know, depending on the scale and all that, they have one fourth scale alien maquettes, and they're they're, they're like nine hundred dollars. Blimey! Some people must have serious lira if they can afford such <laughs> things. But uh, whatever floats your boat, whatever floats your boat. If if I can kind of sort of just segue back to uh, that other feedback we got from Doctor concerning the Doctor Who fan club of America that when I was having a, a brain fart and I couldn't remember the, the gentleman's name that that was the editor and, and founder I believe of the organization his name is Ron Katz and the publication was the Whovian Times so I, I just wanted to clear that out I didn't get much sleep last night so my brain isn't fully functional <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> there you have it. It's uh, and Ron Katz, if you're still out there, we want to hear from you. So please uh, get in touch with us. Yes, cool. Um, okay, next piece of email, which is from a gentleman simply named. I'm assuming it's a gentleman, although I don't know that. It says J U. That's all they've uh, mm -hmm. given as their name. Uh, 
and this person says, hey guys, I was wondering if you guys have heard about what happened with Netflix in the season of Doctor Who, the second season. All the copies of Disc One that Netflix rented out were corrupted. During the middle of New Earth episode, the video suddenly changed to a scene from the Texas Chainsaw prequel. Some old guy getting his legs sawed off. Nice visuals there. Uh, pretty funny, eh? After getting uh, numerous complaints from irate customers, Netflix pulled the whole series from the queue. This was over a month ago, uh, since season two came out on DVD in the States. They still haven't put out discs two to five. Um, actually uh, went out and bought the season two box set since they were taking too long. Uh, keep up the great works, guys. That's from Ju. Yeah, we had reported on yeah, this yeah, and, and mentioned it, it in, in a previous podcast, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still... Uh, the reason why I'm talking about it is because it's still quite interesting that they have taken their time to sort this out. I would have thought that it would have been um, this issue would have been cleared by now. Cause well, I, I would imagine they probably had to repress those discs because these were specialized. These were discs that were made just solely for rental purposes, and yes, um, yeah. they weren't the and solely for versions. Netflix, I believe, even. I, so I believe so. Yeah, that. that's all I heard. As far as reports of this incident happening, it's been limited to, the, to Netflix. So. Um, you know, I'm glad they're sorting it all out. I'm sorry that it's taken so long to do. Yeah, but never mind. At least uh, this person had the opportunity to buy the DVD set, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that they aren't disappointed. So there we are. Yeah. There we are. Um, just a couple more emails, because uh, I know time is getting on. The last one of which is a convention uh, note uh, uh, a report from from the recent Gallifrey convention, but before that, I want to read an email from David, another David, David Brown. He says, "Afternoon. I've uh, been listening to your show for a while and have enjoyed it quite a lot. Recently, I started watching this one woman's Doctor Who parodies on YouTube. Her name is Tessa Wojdylo. Uh, Gosh, that's terrible." pronunciation from me, and I believe that's Woj Dilo. She looks very similar to Rose Tyler and dresses up as her and the Doctor. She's done quite a few YouTube videos, not just at conventions, but also a Halloween episode and a Rose Tyler dating show, which was fantastic. We call her the Mad Rose because she is just mad. I think that if you interview her, or, or at least review her small videos, I believe it would be a really neat idea. Her YouTube account is over at youtube.com forward slash bad wolf productions. Be sure, uh, sure to check her out. She's completely fab. Dan Brown. Cheers, mate. Yeah, we'll do that. I'm sorry I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet, but maybe it might be nice to get on the show. I'll check out her stuff and see what it's like. But uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there for mm-hmm. the listeners as well if they want to, because it's always great to see. Um, I absolutely adore fan films. There's, they're yeah. brilliant. There's a whole host of them out on the web, and most of which are brilliant. Um, they are all very in quality, of course, but I'm, I'm always keen to see new fan films and particularly. Uh, comedy-based fan films. I think they're really cool. So I will check that out and uh, and get back to you guys. And uh, we'll review them or maybe get in touch with her and see if she'd be willing to come on the show. Why not? They're very popular. James, in fact, way back in our early days of the podcast, you had put up an article on our website about it and ref- I think it was ref- referencing West... Westlake Films or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. I'm and a big fan of them, yeah. And the, it, it happens to be like, if I haven't checked out our stats lately, but... Yeah, um, but it was the most popular story for a while, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it still may be. And, um, it, it, it's, it's number John two. John it's, oh, okay, it's, yeah. It's, it's right there, number two. So it's it's a very popular article on our site. A lot of people are interested in it, and, um, and rightly so. 
Yeah, check out Westlake Films if if you do uh, like the fan films. If you haven't done already, they're a uh, small sort of, uh, I don't know how you describe them, comedy group, sort of film production group based in Yorkshire, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're pretty hilarious and do some, some very serious films as well as some uh, comedic films. And not all of them based around Doctor Who, but a lot of them are. And uh, they're really fun and, and really... Uh, interesting i think the website is just westlakefilms.co.uk if you want to check them out mm-hmm. yeah, so it, final go on always, sorry it just always amazes me about doctor who fandom how creative the fan you know and this is a massive generalization i realize that but i see more creative efforts in the doctor who genre of you know uh, fans that are into doctor who obviously um are, are very creative uh, more so than than i i mean of, of course, there are creative people in all doc, in all fandoms out there, and whether you're a Star Trek fan, Star Wars fan, or all that. But yeah, it just but simply amazes Doctor me the, the amount. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, final final email. I know there has been a lot um, in this particular feedback section, but you know we value your uh, feedback so much, and, and we really don't want to leave any of it now, particularly if we get a lot, because we always say, oh, we'll get back to it later, and then it kind of gets swept under the carpet, and I, I would hate for that to happen. Yeah. So just a final email, which is um, a report from uh, the uh, 18th Amendment of, of Gallifrey One, uh-huh. and uh, it's from a gentleman named Kevin, and he says, I live in the LA area and attended the convention. It didn't. I didn't plan it uh, very well, uh, I didn't realize that the dealer room would be so uh, close so early, so I missed out on it. I caught Colin Baker, who I thought was pretty good. My new-to-who fiancé even seemed to be entertained by his stories. The main reason I'm sending you this email is to show off my pictures. Yes, I have only four, but they're pretty good. I'm in my 10th Doctor costume, and Bob Mitch in his, is in his 4th Doctor costume. I will note, however, that I did Photoshop the first one to make the TARDIS interior black, old-school style. Uh, The photos are on Flickr, and if you're using the enhanced version, uh, you can click on the link. Failing that, I'll get in touch with this gentleman and see if it would be cool if we could uh, upload the pictures onto our own media gallery. Uh Uh, Failing that, there's some cool pictures from the convention from Mike and a few of the listeners on on the media gallery on our website, of course, Uh podshock.net. Anyway, it says, uh, speaking of costumes... Bob and I were disappointed at the small amount of people who dressed up. We're trying to plan something fun for the San Diego Comic Con. We would uh, like to have each each other's doctors represented in costume. As it stands, we officially have the 4th and the 10th taken care of. Can you mention this idea on the podcast? We're looking for people with their costumes, but if needed, we might try to provide costumes and look for volunteers to fill them. If you do mention this online, please direct them to my personal email. I'm writing now from work. So his personal email is kevinkittridge at sbcglobal.net. So just to repeat, kevinkittridge, that's with two T's, um, at sbcglobal.net. Also, feel free to tell everyone the link to the Flickr pictures. I realize it's a pain in the ass uh, to list all those numbers, etc., but we're pretty proud of them. My personal favourite is the two of the Doctors. Thanks, guys. Kevin Kittridge. So, yeah, just to mention the Flickr set, it's, of course, Flickr.com. That's, of course, uh, without an E, 
Uh, it seems all these websites yeah, these days what's the story are not doing with it that? without vowels. I have no idea. I, I think it's e discrimination. It's you know yeah, you, vowel discrimination. Yeah, well, it's, it's weird. It, but but mostly with e, they seem to drop the e. Flickr. Then you have um, um what's the the map site? Frapper. That we, Frapper. Frapper. Yeah. It, it's like what's the story? Why do they hate e so much? I don't. I do not know. <laughs> but it's just flickr.com forward slash photos forward slash six two five two nine one eight one at capital n zero zero so just to rephrase that last bit six two five two nine one eight one at sign capital n zero zero uh yeah there you are um so yeah cheers uh kevin uh, yeah they're, they're, they're good photos i'm checking them out though um you know, with him in front of the TARDIS. What he was meant with the blacked-out TARDIS interior was him standing outside of the um, the TARDIS, and you don't see the interior. You don't see that it's an empty police box. Is what he's getting at? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, like with, very much with the old series, because yeah. uh, just stop people from seeing in. But it's yeah, it's very cool. And uh, cheers, mate. It's it's, it's it's very funny. And uh, I hope that you do manage to get everything sorted for the Comic Con, because it would be really cool. Yeah. To see ten mm-hmm. doctors walking around, pretty surreal, I guess, but well, very, very cool. You know, b- back in um, you know the eighties, with many of the Doctor Who, the big Doctor Who conventions, such as um, the Who events, and that were in um, um, in Pennsylvania, they they had these costume. Even the Chicago events, if I recall correctly, um, many of the Doctor Who uh, convention and gatherings did costume parades and contests and. Uh, people would win best dressed, and you would see them a parade on stage, and the the whole everyone all everyone that's attending can you know cheer out and vote on their favorites, and a lot again again going back to how creative fans are, there were a lot of creative um, people you know coming up with various different costumes, and you know aliens that were maybe you know not the dominant al- you know um, baddies or whatever, but they they still got their due you know at these conventions from creative people really having a go at them. Yeah, I know. It's weird how no one seems to do it anymore, really. I mean, uh, from all the Dot 2 conventions that I've been to, um, only a few handful of people have actually bothered. Uh, most people haven't, and I agree. It is a bit of a shame, but... I mean, even if um, you go back to the Gallifrey Embassy meetings back then, if you go to our website and check out our uh, media gallery and go to the archives of the Gallifrey Embassy and some of our um, early meetings back in the 80s, you would see a lot of people even just attending our meetings. This isn't a convention. This is just our, our monthly meetings would dress up too. So it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's I guess mm. maybe um, people have moved on and or can't be bothered or time and... Who knows? But um, it'd be nice to have maybe a convention organizer set up a, you know, a, a costume contest or something that will encourage people to, to do it again. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is, but um, maybe we should get dressed up if we go to uh, uh, Gallifrey uh, 1 next year or Gallifrey 19 in mm-hmm. L.A. I think that'd be quite fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Ken would be up to it. I don't know if that's quite his style, but uh, yeah, I'd yeah, be he's... willing to do it. <laughs> I have to admit that all, you know, back when I was donning the, the, the whole uh, Fourth Doctor get up, because uh, <laughs> I had the hair, uh, Ken never really. Um, he, he, he it never doesn't did seem it, to yeah. me to be his style, no. I must admit, but yeah, I know <laughs> what you mean. Uh, I guess that's true of a lot of Doctor Who fans these days. It's, it doesn't really seem to be the style anymore. And. Um, uh, I guess kind of uh, even the series has, has moved away a bit from 
the campness of what it used to be in the 70s and early 80s it's kind of moved on from that a little bit but uh, it's still good fun and i mean yeah. it's a mm -hmm. convention for heaven's sake so it seems to me that the, the, the mixed conventions people really tend to make a, an effort particularly things like dragon con in the u.s and you know people really do go to some extreme measures with their costumes and take the time and effort to to, to do that but uh, Lately, Dot Two conventions that that hasn't been the case at all for some weird reason. I, I don't know why. Yeah, we'll have to change that. Yeah, we'll 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 change that. Maybe Doctor Who Podshot listeners should make a pledge. I don't know, but it was really funny seeing those pictures. So yeah, yeah cheers, Kevin, mate, for for sending them. And it's always good to to see uh, Doctor Who fans having a laugh. That's what mm. we're about here at Podshock. So, uh, just as a final reminder to people, please do send in your feedback. We've had a heck of a lot this week. It's great, and especially from so many new listeners. Welcome, guys. It's great to, to have you on board. Um, just to kind of paraphrase something that we always say on Podshock is that it is as much our Podshock as it is yours. We love having your contributions, so please send stuff in. Um, it, we will always be willing to, to read stuff out on the show or play a clip that you send in because uh, that's what this is all about really this is about uh, uh, the, the the global community of Doctor Who this these are the new fan clubs really and and uh, the Gallifrey and Embassy and of course Outpost Gallifrey uh, loves this kind of stuff so do send stuff in there's loads of ways to do it you can send uh, an email to us at feedback at podshock.net um, there's also uh, uh, you can if you have Skype or the Gizmo project you can send us a little uh, voicemail through there, which is just simply Podshock. Those are both our usernames for both of those services. And finally, you have uh, the Podshock public call box, which is, uh, if you're in the US or in the UK and don't mind uh, ringing up, is uh, 206 888 who And that for who translates to uh, 4946. So that's 206 888 4946. It's a Washington number, I believe. Yeah. Uh, call it up and you can leave us some feedback and that will be directed to us and we'll play it on the show as and when we have the opportunity. I, I just want to make a mention that if you did try to send a voicemail to us via Skype in the last couple of weeks and had trouble, uh, please try again. We sorted that out and um, it's fully functional once again. So um, you can reach us through Skype using, as James said, using the, the, the address Parchock. Yep, so I guess that's kind of it for this week. It's sad that, that Ken hasn't been on board, but uh, never mind. Uh, he's a very busy gentleman these days, and uh, he's been heavily working on assignment. But um, I think there's next week we're doing a, a pod shock, and then is it the week after that we're at Icon? I can never remember. It's, um, or is it a couple of weeks in, now? Yeah, it, Icon, just to remind everyone, we're doing a live show at Icon, which is in Stony Brook, New York. Icon is an annual uh, science fiction convention. It's the 26th year of Icon, so it's Icon 26. And we are appearing at Icon on the Sunday, which is um, March 25th, I believe, and that's at 1.30 p.m., and we're assuming we'll probably be located in the same place where we were last year at the Javits Center. But once we know for sure, we'll announce it on our um, show and on our website. So, But once again, that's 1.30 p.m. Eastern. At that time, it's going to be Eastern Daylight Time. And it's at the Stony Brook, uh, New York, that's which is on Long Island, um, Icon 26. 
Yeah, and uh, with this some um, information, albeit not very much, you can see a very dashing picture of, oh, yes. of Ken on the, the website, which is iconsf.org. I, I, I still have to send them a picture of me, so they, there's just an, a, a generic icon for me there, and um, yeah. of course our <laughs> artwork is there, and, and, and James is not there, even though he is going to be there, not live in person, but live via the internet, so he's, he's, he'll be there live, just not in person live. Exactly. I'm really looking forward to it because uh, I couldn't see what was going on um, last year. I, I was there talking, but I couldn't. Lewis and Ken were talking about what a great uh, response they had and how many people showed up. I would love to see everybody and, 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 and talk to people as well. So hopefully I'll be on the webcam and uh, you guys will be able to, to see and interact with me. That would mm -hmm. be really cool. Yeah, be really yeah. Cool. we can set that up. But other than that, I guess that's the end of the show. So, yeah. uh, cheers for, to everybody for uh, their awesome feedback. Loads this week. Uh, thanks, of course, always to, to Mike Duran for his wonderful interviews and his efforts. And, uh, and thank all of you for all your wonderful feedback. This has been a, a, a feedback yeah. listener response show, really. So, thank yeah, you so it's much. been a mammoth show, yeah. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, Ken, I'm sure we'll be back next week. Uh, in the meantime, have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you all very soon. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Bye for now. Bye-bye. been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run GallifreyandEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net for once you're not the most important man in my life let's see how you get on without me then give me the key the TARDIS key if I'm so insignificant give it me back all right then I will well, you've got what you wanted, so that's goodbye then. Goodbye. It's good, isn't it? Hmm?